Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm going to be reading, for this morning's scripture reading, I'm going to be reading John 15, verse 12 to 17. Uh, And it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you, you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Amen. Yeah. Good morning, church. It is good to see everybody here today. Uh, What a wonderful joy it is to be able to worship God, as uh, we all together here know. And every Lord's Day when we come together, thankfully we're reminded once again of just how good it is to be here. Uh, For the last month, we have been talking about that wonderful song that we just sang, Jesus Loves Me. Uh, Probably the most well-known Christian hymn in all the world. A song that is generally you know, thought to be a children's song, and I suppose it is, but it has been uh, useful to us in worship for those of us of all ages now, all this month long, and every time we do sing it in our worship services. And uh, today is going to be the conclusion of this series. And so I want to draw your attention to this line of the song that you see on the screen, just the last song, line of the song. And uh, let's just think about this for a few minutes together. Jesus, take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. On the cross you died for me. I will try to live for thee. John 15, verses 12 through 17 has been our scripture reading in every sermon in this series, all in this series. And I want us to think about this today with that last line of the song in mind. And in this passage, Jesus says, this is the English Standard Version, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment. Pause there and stop and take that in and make sure you recognize what the commandment in this passage is. The commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. So let's make this personal for us in this room. Jesus' commandment, the new commandment, he will call it, uh, of Christianity, the, the thing that he has brought in, which is just something that is a... Uh, was, was an unlooked-for development over the top of the law of Moses, this one thing that Jesus has come and he has given the whole world the perfect example of love, what that looks like, what that means, 
how that is to be done, what that sounds like, etc. And so Jesus says, I'm now your example. I'm the living embodiment of the commandment of God, of the greatest of all commands, and I want you to love each other. And so it's my job as I look across this auditorium and look through our membership roles, even those that may not be here with us today, it's my job that I do my best. If the song says, I will try to live for thee, if I will try to live for Jesus, it means that this commandment is something that I'm going to have to make an intentional effort to obey, to put into practice in my life, which means I need to love each one of y'all as Jesus has loved me. And your job is the same toward me and toward every other face in this room and anybody that the Lord may bring among us at any time. We are to think of how Jesus has loved us and we are to try to, to employ that love in our lives towards each other. In other words, to walk in imitation of his love. And he continues in the passage, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another." As we think about the rest of this passage, there's a lot there that we could unpack if we were doing a series just on that text, but I want us to read the passage in a different version. And considering what our theme has been this month, I think it's entirely appropriate that I read it from the International Children's Bible. Now, the, the uh, abbreviations are wrong both in this and the next slide. I noticed that this morning. should be ICB for those that are sticklers about that. But International Children's Bible, listen to the way it renders this passage in a way that is supposed to help children get the message the easiest way possible. This is my command, love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants now. A servant does not know what his master is doing. But now I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you, and I gave you this word to go and produce fruit. I want you to produce fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you anything you ask for in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus tells us several things in this passage, truths, what we might call just doctrinal truths that are fundamental uh, paving stones of the way of life lived in pursuit of Jesus. One is this promise here that God the Father wants to give us everything. He wants to bless us richly in every way. But there's a condition in this passage that that blessing is uh, conditioned upon, that we bear fruit. You see, if a church, if a group of Christians dwelling together in any community anywhere in the world, if that, that fellowship of believers produces fruit, they are accomplishing the mission of God. God is going to pour all the resources of heaven behind the pursuit of that mission. If you have a church that is not bearing fruit, in other words, one that is not uh, doing good works, one that is not proclaiming the gospel effectively, one that is not raising up their children in the faith, one that is not uh, that proclaiming the excellencies of God to a lost and dying world, Jesus will take things from that church and give them to another until 
if things do not change, eventually he will remove the lampstand or the candlestick from that church altogether and remove his presence from it, as we read in the book of Revelation, chapters 1 through 3. And so this passage hyperlinks to that and connects to these other truths in Scripture. So we see, and ultimately, and I love the way the International Children's Bible boils it down in such an understandable way. It doesn't say anything different from the New King James or the ESV as far as meaning goes, but I like that it's simplified this. I want you to produce fruit, and this is how you're going to do it. If you will love each other as I have loved you, you are going to be fruitful servants to Jesus. You're going to be fruitful servants to God if you love each other as Jesus has loved you. Now, how do I know if I'm loving someone the way that Jesus has loved me? This just want us to take four little statements here and consider them for a minute. First of all, this one, what Jesus did for us. He showed the greatest possible love for us because he loves us with the greatest possible love. In other words, it wasn't just a show. He wasn't just being a pattern. It wasn't just about laying down the foundation of our doctrine. It wasn't just about coming and representing the will of God the Father so that his commandments can be communicated to us in truth, although all of those things are absolutely true. But Jesus came and did what he did for us, no longer calling us servants, certainly no longer calling us his enemies, which is what we were because of sin, but calling us his friends and choosing then to die for us. He has shown us this love that is not uh, something that he just, uh, you know, just created in that moment and, and thought up at the last minute, but this is truly who who he is from the depth of his divine being he is love god is love first john 4 and verse 8 and jesus being god among us god with us god in the flesh is the embodiment of the one being of god who is altogether and holy love w-h-o-l-l-y love and so he showed us the greatest possible love for us because he loves us with the greatest possible love but again what does that mean if we're going to love each other as he has loved us and so be fruitful in our service to God and so open up the doors of God's generosity so that he'll give us everything that we ask for. And again, that's the promise of that passage that we've been reading all month long. We've got to understand what love is, right? If I'm going to love you the way Christ has loved me, I get right from the start that it needs to be sacrificial, right? Jesus said no one has any greater love than to die for his friends. That's the greatest way that you could express that love. But not everybody is going to be called to literally give their mortal lives to die for their friends. If you really love someone, listen, if you really love someone with Christian love, with the love of Christ, it must be unselfish. And if you really do love someone with that love, you will lay down your life for them. It's not a question of whether or not you will do that. You will do that. And I can appeal to parents and ask any of you in this room, you know, whether or not you would gladly lay down your life and die in order to preserve the lives of your children. Or more importantly, if, if by sacrificing yourself you could secure the salvation of your children eternally, would you not do it? Would you not a thousand times over? Well, if the answer to that is yes, and I know every parent that, that really is being trained up and taught by Jesus would say yes, if you would say yes, then you already understand the concept of Christian love, of sacrificial love. The question is, how far does that circle of love spread? Is it only your children? Is it even your children? Is it only your children? What about your parents? 
What about your siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents? What about your friends? What about your next door neighbor? What about the members of the body of Christ with whom you're in spiritual fellowship? How far will your love go? And it's simply a question of how deep your love actually is and truly is to answer the question of how far your love will go. But what is love? We have a definition of love in uh, four verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. And I've chosen in keeping with our theme this month, our series, to put this uh, in the International Children's Bible uh, as well. So listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8 says. This is the world's definition of love. This is the objective truth about love. Love is patient and kind. Are you patient and kind, my brother and my sister? Love is not jealous. Do you seethe with jealousy? Love does not brag and it is not proud. What about you? Love is not rude. It is not selfish. Does not become angry easily. Do you become angry easily? If so, what's motivating you is certainly not love. Love does not remember wrongs done against it. Take that in. Struggle with holding a grudge? It's not love that's doing that. It's certainly not the heart of Christ that's doing that. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs done against it. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices over the truth. And this is a line here in this definition of what love actually objectively is that is very, very, very important to our world today because so many people have been lied to about what love is. Love patiently accepts all things that it must endure. It always trusts, it always hopes, and always continues strong. Love literally never ends. What a beautiful definition of love. And so when, when the Bible says, when Jesus told his disciples, nobody loves anybody greater than the one who chooses to die for them. If you die for a friend, you cannot possibly show any greater love because you've got nothing more than your whole self that you can give. And so if you give yourself, if you give your life, you've given it all. You've given everything you've got to give. So how can you love more than that? You can't love more than that. It's practical. There's nothing mystical about this. You know, nothing strange. about it. It's just a, a, a plain, straightforward, common sense statement. If you give everything you got to give, in this life all you got is your life. If you give your life, you can't love anybody any more than that. But, but that means that if you're doing that, you're expressing patience, kindness, the absence of jealousy. You're not boasting. You're not proud. You're not being rude. You're not being selfish, et cetera, et cetera. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Titus 3, verse 4, two passages that I won't be referencing all of these for the sake of time, but where the Apostle Paul talks about the perfect patience of Jesus. There is nobody in your life who is more patient with you than Jesus is. But let me just talk about me. Jesus now for 47 years, be 48 years this year, Jesus has been putting up with me all this time, and he hadn't struck me with lightning yet. And I deserve it right now, just to be honest with you.
thought I'm thinking right now, I promise you, to, to my knowledge, I'm not thinking anything evil right now. The only thing in my world right this minute and for the rest of this sermon is the Word of God and the truth that I have to preach. Nothing else is going on in me. But the Lord knows my life. He knows the things that I've thought and said and done over the course of these years. And He knows that there's still weakness in this frame and, and that if all things go as they have gone, I hope maybe they'll go a little better than that in the past growth you know baby steps day after day week after week let's try to grow let's try to get closer to Jesus let's try to do a little bit better but but I I just got a feeling folks I'm going to sin sometime this week and and it's not that that's something that's inevitable it's not something that I want to do it's just my past experience of being mortal being a man in this fallen world has taught me that I'm going to be dealing with Satan this week. It's just going to be a reality. And I'm not going to do the best job with every single one of those temptations that comes my way. Can you relate to that? All right? So, so again, we can look at this and say, well, like we talked about last time. Well, nobody's perfect, and we can make an excuse about that, and we can say, well, hey, I'm the only one that big of a deal. Hmm. It is that big of a deal. And your sins are not better or worse or, you know, not, not, not to, to be made light of simply because other people have got sins in their lives. Your sin's between you and God. You're listening to your sin between you and God. Not between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ and somehow God's going to compare. Well, let's look at Laverne Church of Christ on Judgment Day. During that era and what they were all alive during this period of time, they were working together to be the church at Laverne. Let's stack them all up now and let's figure out who's the best one at Laverne and who's the worst one at Laverne. As long as you're in that top 50% half, you're going to be okay. That's not the way judgment works. You got sins in your life. You deserve to be punished. You folks, y'all deserve to be punished by God, don't you? And I do too. I deserve to be punished by God for my sins. But he's not only chosen to be patient with me, the Bible says he has perfect patience, complete patience with me. You see, it's hard for us to understand because if I really get to wanting you to do something, if, if I really get to wanting you to do something, I can start getting real irritated with you if you don't do it pretty quickly. That's not something I'm boasting about. It's a character flaw. It's a character flaw. I can start trying to push. I can start trying to persuade, a.k.a. manipulate. I can start trying to to put pressure on you in different ways in your life to try to get you to move and do the thing that I think you ought to do. And I can promise you this, when I get that way, it, it's usually something that I think is biblical or godly that I think you ought to do or I want you to do or that I want the whole church to do. But at the end of the day, I can't force you to grow faster than you're able to grow. Right? And, and hey, listen to this. God won't force me to grow faster than I'm able to. To grow, And as long as I will grow, are you listening? This is good news, brothers and sisters. As long as I will grow, as I will continue to come back to him, to keep turning my head toward him, to keep choosing faith in spite of my failures, to continue to press on and say, Lord, I know I don't deserve your great, but I'm going to keep on trying to move in the direction of your glory and your truth and your wisdom and your will. If I will grow, Jesus will wait for me forever 
forever. Do you get that? I'm not going to ask everybody to tell me all at once how old you are, although if I did get you to say it all at once, nobody would hear anybody else, and that'd be okay. Everybody would be like 14 or something in their mentalities. But however many years you've been on this earth, hadn't God been patient with you all this time? Love is patient. Jesus' love is patient. Here's something I want us to talk about for a minute. It's about perspective. Love is not jealous, but Jesus is the very embodiment of love, and, and he's also the very embodiment of God, God being a man. And we, we do know from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, God is a jealous God. When we talk about, uh, about God's desire for our exclusive loyalty and our worship, God doesn't tolerate any competition whatsoever. And in that sense, he is absolutely the embodiment and definition of jealousy. And, and so if God is love, 1 John 4 verse 8 and God is a jealous God, then, then how can uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 truly be the definition of love? Isn't that a contradiction? I bring this to your attention because there are lots of folks out there in the world that like to take passages like this in the Bible, and they like to really make a big deal out of it and, and hopefully attack people's faith and weaken people's faith by saying, look here, the Word of God contradicts itself. So can't you see that this is a work of mankind and not the Word of God? And that's kind of the point that somebody might try to get across with this. You always got to think about perspective. Think about perspective. First of all, let me just ask you about you. Do you ever use the same word in different conversations and mean something very different with the different uses of that word? Of course you do. In fact, you do it every day. Every single day, you speak in contexts. Every conversation that you have is in a context. And the, the conditions of that context determine the meanings of the words that you use. Now, each word that we use in the English language or in any language has its root list of meanings. But, but that root list of meanings can, can be figurized. It, it can be made to be symbolic. It can be used in less than a literal sense. And you might say something and mean a certain extent of a thing in one context and mean it in a different way. Let me tell you, the answer to the perceived problem here is to recognize why God is jealous and what divine jealousy is. And to recognize the vast difference between the Spirit of God and what motivates God and why God does the things that He does versus what motivates us as mortal men and women and why we do the things that we do. When a human being is jealous, there, there's a certain sense in which jealousy is okay even for a human being. And that's not the sense that's being condemned in this passage. I have a wife uh, as of this uh, past week of 26 years Wonderful, beautiful lady. We've been together as a couple for 32 years, if my math is correct on the spot. All right? All that period of time, you know, we've been growing together in our relationship. But she's my wife, man. She's not yours. And if you violate, you know, if you violate that truth there, we're going to have problems. And that's because of jealousy. But it's appropriate jealousy. And in fact, I have that jealousy to the extent that I have it because I love my wife. And I don't want anything bad to happen to her. And I'm jealous over the rights that I have to my wife. And she is also with the rights that she has over me, uh, which is protective against other people doing something that would be sinful, that would condemn their souls and send out waves of, of evil and problems into people's lives. When folks violate, like for instance, the sanctity of marriage, when folks violate that relationship, they do great harm. 
to their families and to the whole of the human family. And so there's a sense in which it's right for us to jealously guard those boundaries that God has put into place. And that's exactly what God is doing when he's jealous for our love and for our devotion and for our worship. But what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is human jealousy that comes from a motivation for ownership, for control. In essence, jealously, jealousy, if it is, if it is wielded by a fallen and sinful human heart, will seek to enslave the object of that affection or of that love. And this is what love never does. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in this definition of love. And it is absolutely biblically consistent with what God does. Divine jealousy is love. It is in your best interests that God not allow you to worship other gods. Do I need to say it more clearly than that? It is in your best interest that God protect you from idolatry because it will destroy your life. And therefore, God is jealous about that relationship, and it is love. But when I let my jealousy toward my wife, which I don't think I do, and she'll, she would tell me if I did, but if I let my jealousy over the relationship that I have with my wife, the rights that I have with my wife go too far to where I begin to rob her of life and to, to own her and to control her and to, to no longer trust her, then it has become something that is not love. And the rest of this definition will bear that out. So love is not jealous in that sense. It does not brag and it is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not selfish. And it does not become angry easily. Um, th this is the heart of the passage and the heart of the definition. And brothers and sisters, I know uh, a lot of folks will say something like this. Well, I just, you know, deep down, I guess I'm just an honest and transparent person, and I, I just say whatever comes to my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Listen, I just, I'm going to have to rebuke that. I'm going to say it in love, but I'm just going to have to rebuke that. If you have ever said that, what you are expressing is not love. Whatever you, you say, well, I just say whatever. You never say that unless you're defending yourself because you said something you shouldn't have said, right? <laughs> Nobody ever says, I'll just say whatever comes to my mind, unless deep down in their heart somewhere they know, well, I probably shouldn't have said that. Am I wrong? You know it's not wrong. You know it's the truth. So think about that and put this definition of love, uh, put it in your mind and in your heart. It's consistent with Scripture. And, and, and Jesus said, this is how. We're going to show ourselves as his disciples. This is how we're going to ensure that we as individuals and this congregation as a whole continues to be fruitful in the service of the Lord. Love is the key, but love has a definition. Love has a description. Love has a nature that is objectively true, that does not change from person to person and is not subject to human opinion. Love is a defined and bounded thing. And the world does not just get to define it however the world wants to define it. One of the mottos of our fallen culture today is love is love. Love is love. And what does that mean? If you're 
keeping up with what's going on in the culture of America today. You know what people mean by that. It's a pushback. It's a criticism a biblical teaching about the proper roles of men and women in life, that a man must be a man and a woman must be a woman, and that if you're going to have romantic love in your life, it's going to be heterosexual, that, that God designed a man to, to romance a woman and to marry a woman and to have a life with a woman, and he designed a woman to seek romantic attention from a man and only from a man and to marry a man and, and, and to live a life, a married life with a man. This is what the Bible teaches. But people are saying, well, that's hate because you're telling people out there they can't love who they want to love. And they'll say, after all, love is love. Whoever you love, that's love. However you love, that's love. That is, I don't really know a word that is significant to talk about how foolish and misguided that is. Well, is rudeness love? Think about it. What about, what about being arrogant? Is arrogance love? You ever loved anybody that you looked down your nose on? But I mean, if those things are not love, but some people have those things in their relationships that they call love, then, then is it really love? And so if the Bible says that love is a, is a definable thing, that it's got boundaries, if it says love takes no pleasure in evil but rejoices over the truth, and if the Bible says that homosexual relationships are evil and that is communicated by the truth, you following where we're going here? Then it means that that can't possibly be love. It can be lust. It's all it can be. Now, that's not to say that there aren't homosexuals that love their partners in many ways, and I'm not trying to pretend that they don't. Many homosexuals that would lay down their lives for their partners. I grant that. I'm not saying there's no love in their relationships. I'm saying they've taken that love and they've crossed a boundary that God has forbidden. And everything across that line is no longer love. It is hatred born of the will of Satan to destroy their lives and to send shockwaves of evil and hurt through their families and through society. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't care how much you cry about it, that is not love. And if we're going to be right with Jesus, we've got to love as Jesus loves. And that is a love that is consistent with the truth. And so Jesus has showed us the greatest possible love for us because he loves us with the greatest possible love. He gave us the most wonderfully blessed, generously provided, and happily received if that has ever been offered. You know, the fact that Jesus has given us conditions that we can meet in order to be saved is a great, great blessing. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. You see that? You want to be a friend of Jesus? Nothing has ever been easier in the history of the world than to be a friend with Jesus because there's nothing in that passage that says, you're my friends if you perfectly obey every commandment I or my Father have ever uh, been given. As long as you stay perfectly within, the, within those boundaries and never run off the road into a ditch, not even for a minute, as long as you are perfect like me in every way, then you're my friends. He didn't say that. Just, just keep my commandments. Just Begin that life that's characterized by growth and obeying him. Jesus says, if you do that, you're my friends. What a blessing it is that he's given us that opportunity. What did Jesus do for us? He chose to give himself to us as Lord and for, his, and, and for us to be his people through the gospel so that we will produce lasting fruit. Well, I'm grateful this congregation is producing fruit in a lot of ways. 
you know, during the Lord's Supper, the quiet parts of the Lord's Supper, I was just sitting in, in my spirit dancing to the music of crying babies. It just delighted my soul. I said a prayer, thank you, Lord, for all the crying babies, and would you give us more, 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 more of them? <laughs> and not just the babies, but, you know, grown-up babies that don't know Christ, 80-year-old babies, spiritually speaking, in this community, and 40-year-olds and everything in between. Give them to us, Lord. And, and I know I know that this congregation is producing lasting fruit, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And it's not because of me. It's because of the Spirit of God that is among us. But brothers and sisters, you as a congregation have yielded to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the love that we have at Laverne Church of Christ for one another is a real thing. I mean, if you're a guest here today and you're, you haven't gotten integrated into this family yet, uh, talk to me after services. Let's talk about fixing that problem. Because if you become a part of this family, you will be a part of a bunch of people that don't deserve the grace of God. You will be a, a family, a spiritual family with people that still sin and fall short of His, his glory, excuse me, and wish that they did not. But I will tell you this. And you will also be part of a family in which somebody who loves you will sometimes say or do something that will hurt your feelings, right? So let's make sure that we're just being perfectly transparent about this. Know that going in. That's family, right? That's family. But if you're a part of this church, you're going to be loved. And there's no doubt about that at all. And that is the greatest evidence that Laverne Church of Christ is truly Christian. May God help us so to be. What Jesus wants from us, these things flow from what Jesus has done for us and given for us. He wants us to live our whole lives in obedience to him, which above all else means we must love as he is loved. Now, how do we do this? Well, really the question is how to start, because you can't even finish the journey without the help of the Holy Spirit of God. But as an act of obedient faith, you can start the journey and begin walking through life with the Spirit guided by the commands of Jesus Christ. You've got to realize, would you please, please hear this? Realize, whatever love comes naturally to you is not the whole thing. Whatever love comes naturally and easily to you is not the whole thing. I'm not saying it's not love. I'm saying it's not all that love ought to be. You will never achieve all that love ought to be based upon what just comes naturally to your flesh. You must seek the Word of God and prayerfully strive to obey the commandments in Scripture, and your heart will be shaped so that you will progressively through growth become more and more completely an example of what love is in its entirety. Secondly, reflect. Think about yourself. What characterizes your daily life? If you're putting yourself first, consistently you are not loving like Jesus loves us. Third, reach. This is about growth that starts now. And I'm asking everyone in this auditorium, wherever you are in growing in your obedience to an imitation of the love of Christ, by the authority of Christ, I'm asking you to commit right this second to being more loving, more perfectly loving next Sunday than you are today. It's just about a process of growth. And the Lord is perfectly patient. So yes, baby steps will do. And finally, recognize. You want to recognize love? Jesus is love. Recognize that he is the perfect example of love. And if you will follow him and imitate him, brothers and sisters, it's like it is our whole theme for this year. You're going to be living your life for him. 
this morning if you need to come to him, to own him as Lord and Savior, confess your faith, obey the commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the water is ready. This morning, if you're a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Would you come as we together stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.